The scripture reading this morning is Exodus 3, 1 through 10. Moses at the burning bush. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the prince of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I've also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Good morning. We're going to visit a little bit with Moses in the desert. I imagine many of you have been in a desert, and we are privileged in this state to have a desert to visit, in case we need to go there. Deserts are inter interesting places where some claim an openness to spiritual encounters. They can also be places of testing. Food and water are often scarce. The sun can be scorching. Internet connections and electricity are long gone and far off. Deserts may be nothing new to shepherds in the Middle East. This is where we find Moses tending his father-in-law's sheep after fleeing Pharaoh's watchful eye and the witnesses that saw him murder the Egyptian. I'm sure he had plenty, time, plenty of time to think about his identity as one who follows God, a Hebrew, one of the oppressed people enslaved to labor each day for Pharaoh. Moses was a bit of a refugee when we locate him today. He fled to Midian and he had the job of watching sheep. He's watching the flock at the side of the wilderness, the outer edges near the mountain of God. He was alone with the sheep, away from the chatter of people. He was in a place to listen. He was far from distractions, alone in solitude and silence. He was near to what was considered to be the mountain of God. 
He was in a perfect location to hear God. A burning bush appears, so he investigates this strange sight. He's curious, not necessarily fearful yet. God has his attention. Then God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses! Did he know this was the voice of God? He answers, here I am, yep, that's my name. After hearing and responding, God instructs him. God says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Although scripture doesn't record it, I'm sure he took off his sandals. Removing shoes is a gesture that honors the holiness of the ground. This mountain and this God, and it's an act of reverence. Is there any doubt this God is speaking through the burning bush? Probably not. Most likely, the setting made some sense to Moses. In ancient times, mountains were traditionally thought to be the dwelling places of the divine. Fire was a common biblical symbol of God's presence. Suffice it to say, God knew how to get Moses' attention. When God has his attention, Moses listens. God identifies himself saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now this is getting serious and he's afraid. He hides his face, but Moses continues to listen and hears amazing things. God explains that he has seen the suffering of his people and he hears their cries. He will bring them out of the muck and mire and put them in a prosperous place where they will have rights and not be oppressed. He promises to bring them into a land of prosperity and plenty. He promises a miracle for oppressive governments and people to be put aside so that his promise can be fulfilled. God brings hope for the oppressed. And did you catch the last part of the message? So Moses, get up and go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God announces his plan for Moses, and it requires faith, a great deal of faith. How many of us would love such clear direction? But inevitably, when we get clear directions, like Moses, we're suddenly full of logistical questions and sometimes arguments about our qualifications, or we immediately want to know how exactly is God going to accomplish what he plans. It may be reassuring to know that even one as great as Moses had some questions for God about what he was planning. What about us? Does God still speak? Does God have a voice today, or was it lost after the first century? It might be a novel idea for you to listen to God. It might be difficult to discern how he speaks to us. It might be a bit startling to think he can even speak to us. Perhaps this is a new idea. I like what um, Bill Hybel has to say in his little book, How to Hear God. He says, if the essence of Christianity is a personal relationship between the Almighty God 
and the individual human beings, it stands to reason that God still speaks to believers today. You can't build a relationship on one-way speeches. You need frequent, sustained, intimate contact between two persons, both of whom speak and both of whom listen. Perhaps you could tell your own story about how God led you through urgings or led you through circumstances or the guidance of scripture or the counsel of others. Perhaps you have sensed or been urged by God in some way during prayer. In contrast, you may remember a time when God's urging was ignored. Wouldn't it be great to have a few hours to just sit around and listen to each other's stories about how God has led us? If we acknowledge a living relationship with God, revealed through Christ and affirmed by the Holy Spirit that lives in us, then we can assume that there is communication going on. No doubt, you would agree, in any relationship, listening is essential. Without it, the relationship will fail. John 8:47 affirms that if we belong to God, we will hear him. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And like the disciples observing the transfiguration of Jesus, God directs us to listening, saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. I was figuring we have some advantages to hearing God compared to Moses. It's been, it's been a few millennia. God's been at work. We have the Holy Spirit, who is our connection to God, who moves within us, guiding us to truth, urging us to do his will and work during our time on this earth. We also have the whole word of God that speaks to our hearts, our minds, and emotions, setting us straight and challenging us and affirming God's way for us as we follow the Messiah. At this point, Moses was a bit limited. He, had, he followed an oral history of God through his ancestors. We also have the advantage of a large global and local community of believers who can help us discern what we are thinking and hearing. In contrast, Moses had his father-in-law, who was a spiritual leader. But compared to Moses, or compared to us, Moses has some stark advantages to hearing God. Primarily, he was undistracted. He was on the edge of the wilderness. The dark nights and the silence and the solitude left him with little to consider apart from creation. And he was near a place thought to be a good place to find God. No doubt he was open to hear God, perhaps more so than we are today with our logic and reasoning or evidence-informed knowledge and the history of seeing people get it wrong when claiming to hear God. Perhaps he had the strong belief that God will invade and speak whenever he wills. Moses apparently heard direct audible words that are easy to understand. While we may have a sense of God's voice 
as heartfelt impressions or urgings to act on. Often these impressions we receive as we listen for God may need verification and time to help us discern if they are really God's leading. Or we may get input from other believers to help verify if what we heard is from God. And we may want to discern if what we have heard is consistent with scripture and the teachings of Christ. If God is more than willing to speak, how can we tune in our ears to hear? Like Moses, it starts with place. Are we in a place to listen? Do we commune with God regularly enough to keep the conversation going? Do we practice being quiet, being alone, and being God-focused? I think this is a great challenge for all of us. When I was living abroad in a Christian community, we often listened to sermons on cassette tapes that were sent to us through the mail. Pastor Charles Stanley from the Deep South was one I remember because often he would intersperse his sermons with the phrase, now listen, which kind of helped. I recently found him on the internet. He's still preaching. He has uh, varied that phrase, now listen, a little bit, thankfully. He also gives some direction on listening to God. And this phrase caught me. It's your intimacy with God that determines the impact of your life. It's your intimacy with God that determines the impact of your life. If we want to hear, and hopefully we do, tending to that relationship is a good place to start. Being in a place of need is a fruitful way to hear God. Asking God about life's direction, even small, and large details is a great place to begin listening. Apart from our needs, we can also carve out a quiet space to hear God. Hopefully, our prayers are happening more often than just when we have a need or a desire. You might want to take stock of your conversations with God. I have found that I'm very one-sided in my conversations and I haven't taken time to listen to God. Well, it's no wonder I don't hear him. I've had times of better listening, and I've had taken the time to reflect and listen, inviting the Holy Spirit into my day, my decisions, both small and large. The prospect of hearing actually takes faith. The guidance we hear or are impressed with comes through the Holy Spirit in a compelling way. We know God's voice because it's consistent with scripture and it's consistent with what we are asked to do in our life in Christ. It's also consistent with the gifts that God has given us. Even though Moses stuttered, his leadership and his identity formed through past experiences was to be used of God. If we don't listen to God, for fear of what he may lead us to do, then we don't trust that his plan is best for us. God's leadings usually involve service. Counterfeit leadings are fairly easy to discern because 
of their self-promoting or self-serving direction. Sometimes we hear sort of out of the blue. We least expect it and suddenly there's God impressing us to do something and we have no clue why or what it will lead to. This happens as a result of a nurturing relationship we have with God. Bill Hybels again tells a story of passing a person walking to their car as he was driving his and he was impressed that he should give this person a ride. It didn't make sense, this person was just walking to their car. But the encounter led this person actually later on to work in their church. When we can't see the logic of God's direction, faith is needed and God does know what he's doing. Bear with me as I tell you about an experience of hearing God while living in the Middle East. A patient, a male patient, who had been in the hospital, he was, he was one of the only person in his village far, far away who could read. And he'd expressed great interest in what we Christians believed. In the Middle East, we as a team were very careful not to cross cultural norms, but we did when we did it, we did it very carefully. I had just passed through the hospital. I was working in there, and there was a ward with about 10 beds, the men's ward. And I saw this older man alone, unable to walk to the mosque for evening prayers with the other men in the large room. So all the beds were empty, and he was just sitting there. And I knew that he had was very interested in getting a Bible and knowing more about what we believed. I passed through and I went home ready to prepare my dinner and I realized to my surprise, I couldn't even sit down. I pictured this man sitting there wanting to hear what we believed and in an empty room. And really I couldn't sit, it was weird, I was just moved. Um, so I, I put my Arabic Bible in, in a bag I walked back to the hospital and returned to this large room, but found it now filled with all the men who had returned from the evening mosque prayers. Every bed was occupied. Still, I was impressed to share the truth with him. You may think, hey, no big deal. But it was a big deal because we had male nurses that not only watched our every move and listened to our conversations, but who were more or less responsible for the male patients. On top of this, it was evening, not a time to tend to patients, not a place for a female to be tending to male patients or even be in the hospital. I had a Bible not to be given in public and not to be given to anyone who would ask we usually had them talk to our male field leader first if they were interested in the Bible. And he would have a long conversation with them and direct them to listen to the radio to test their interest to see if it was genuine. Giving a Bible in the open could get the whole team kicked out of the country. I didn't want to be responsible for that. And it could put any local interested person in prison. But there I was, 
most definitely urged on and seemingly led by God. I brought a chair, sat it next to his bed, and asked if he would like to hear the story of Jesus' birth. I knew our story differed from what he knew from the Quran. He joyfully agreed and then wisely made my reading into an Arabic grammar lesson so as to decrease suspicion. Every ear in the room was listening and commenting on what I read. A few days later, when he was leaving, we were able to give him a Bible. Twelve years later, I was able to visit his village. Far, far away, a five-hour drive on a bumpy road that required four-wheel drive. He still had the Bible. We read it, and he told us of his vision to build a church in his village. I'm not sure whatever happened to him or his village now. I don't even really know if he understood what we believed. I have faith that God knows what he's doing, even if it goes contrary to what we think should happen. God wants to do his work through us. It's both exciting and challenging to listen and discern. God speaks to those who are willing to listen. He is committed and ready to speak to us. Lord, open our ears and speak into our complacency, into our comfort and sense of control. Awaken your spirit within us. As with a splash of cold water in our faces, revive our minds, hearts, and wills to acknowledge your presence in our world, in our lives, so that we may fully live for you. Amen. Mm -hmm.